0: This is the InFocus Podcast from The Hindu.
1: Welcome to The Hindu's InFocus Podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. Early in March, a public interest litigation petition came up in the Supreme Court. Two retired CRPF personnel said that between 2017 and 2019, 148 Central Armed Police Forces personnel Deployed in Naxal affected Bastard district, died by suicide. This is not the only statistic about defense personnel killing themselves. From 2014 to 2021, nearly 800 Army, Navy, and Air Force personnel died by suicide. In August last year, the Rajya Sabha was informed that 680 paramilitary personnel had died by suicide over the previous six years, higher than the 323 personnel who died due to encounters. This apart, between 2014 and 2021, There were 20 cases of fratricides where defense personnel have turned on their colleagues, killing them and in many cases, then killing themselves too. The government has said that difficulty in dealing with family problems from a distance, conflict trauma, the strain of deployment in conflict and border zones all contribute to mental health stress among personnel. It has also pointed to a number of measures initiated such as psychological counsellors in combat zones, better food and clothing, a buddy system and a liberalised leave system along with suicide prevention policies. Some retired officers, however, point to other internal issues, poor leadership and not being able to avail of leave when they need it are some concerns that have been raised. There is also a significant difference in the services available to those in the military and those who serve in the paramilitary forces. How does stress play out in arguably one of the most difficult professions there is? How much of a role does stigma play in the seeking of mental health care and what can be done to help tackle this issue? To speak to us about this and more, we have with us today Dr. Samitra Pathare, a consultant psychiatrist and director of the Center for Mental Health Law and Policy at the Indian Law Society in Pune. Good afternoon, Dr. Samitra, and welcome to the Hindus In Focus podcast.
0: I thank you for inviting me to this.
1: Doctor, between 2010 and 2019, it is reported that over 1,100 defense personnel in India died by suicide. While India has a high rate of suicide globally, could you talk to us about the specific phenomenon of suicides among defense personnel who have extremely stressful and difficult jobs?
0: The the first thing that we need to understand is that when we talk about defense personnel, there are two broadly two different groups. One group is people who work uh, in armed forces, which is You know, the Army, Navy, Air Force. Then there is another group of people who work in what are called the paramilitary services, such as the CRPF and others. And clearly the resources that are available to both these groups varies quite a lot. So, So the armed forces actually have their own armed forces medical services. They have the medical school. They have departments of psychiatry and a reasonable amount of mental health support. On the other hand, the paramilitary services do not have any any such medical services of their own and they tend to depend on the health services that are provided by state governments or central governments in various parts of the country. So, so the access to mental health services and support is actually quite variable between these two groups. So so when we are looking at, looking at suicides, I think it's important to to distinguish between both these groups. And also the, the stresses that are borne by both these groups tends to be different. The, the armed forces will probably very clearly have an enemy across the border, so as to speak, and to deal with, the, with that external enemies. For the paramilitary forces, very often they're employed in, in places within the country and in difficult terrain and difficult situation, and they're having to act against citizens of their own country. And that creates another challenge cognitively for them. How do they deal with it? Uh, they're also under a lot more pressure like the police are uh, in terms of uh, people observing their actions, you know, accusations of high-handed behavior, violence, and all of that stuff. Now that creates an added pressure for them. So while we all class all of them as defense personnel, I think it's important to remember that these two groups are very different in many sorts of ways.
1: You mentioned the stress of the job as a contributory factor. Could you talk to us a little bit more about this being posted, for instance, far away from home in a conflict and difficult situation in, in, in very uh, difficult terrain as well? How do all of these factors contribute to the mental health of a paramilitary forces?
0: You need to understand that, that there are many, uh, many professions which have a stressful, ha- are stressful and have high rates of suicide. So, for example, not just paramilitary personnel, but even doctors have very high rates of suicide among all the professionals. Now, you, you would imagine that med- why should medical professionals have a high rate? But they do. Psychiatrists have among the highest rates among among the medical professions similarly you know if you look at air traffic controllers you look at police you look at firefighters these are all professions of high stress where rates of suicide are high across the world so while while support is required definitely it also needs to be acknowledged that the very nature of the job that some of these professions do creates high levels of stress and puts them at a higher risk for suicide. So, you know, in many ways, these professions and professional leaders uh, have a a responsibility to try and acknowledge that and to create work conditions which would mitigate the effect of that stress and mitigate the risks of suicide for these groups.
1: Doctor, one particular concern specifically that comes up with defense personnel have been incidents of fratricides where personnel have turned on their own colleagues, killing them, and then in many cases, killing themselves. The government said in the Rajya Sabha that between 2014 and 2021, there were 20 cases of fratricide. Why does this specifically happen?
0: You know, I mean, fratricide gets a lot of, lot of attention. But clearly because you feel, oh my God, some innocent person has died for no fault of their own. And that's, that's the kind of mindset when we look at it. But, but let's be very clear that fratricide is actually uncommon, okay? And, and is likely to happen with all, all professions. You see people like doctors, for example, or, or police staff or, or paramilitary staff who have access to means of suicide are more likely to be at risk of suicide and very often you have to understand that you know the classical understanding of people uh, for suicide is always that oh you know somebody who's depressed and withdrawn and wants to kill themselves what what it does not acknowledge is that many people who die by suicide are also extremely angry with other people with their families with their societies and and you know you you do hear about kind of family suicides for example you know where some. Somebody kills their husband or wife and then their children and then hangs themselves. So that, that's the equivalent of the phanticide that you see in paramilitary forces. Or, or take the example of pilots. For example, there have been two very celebrated cases across the world where a pilot who was suicidal has intentionally crashed their plane and, and resulting in hundreds of people dying along with them. So so this is something that happens in all, all circumstances and across professions, not particularly for uh, the paramilitary forces. What, what happens with all of these professions is you have people who have access to means of suicide and to access to lethal means of suicide. In the case of doctors, it could be they have access to medicines, for example, lethal medicines, which if taken in a higher dose can be lethal. Uh, if you look at uh, the police or paramilitary, paramilitary staff, they have access to guns so that's, that's something that can happen and and like with the pilots they have access to the plane which they could crash for example so so you know these are uh, these are events which happen all the time i sometimes think that we pay too much attention to these fatricidal events which happen across professions while not paying enough attention to the number of people who die by suicide you know for example let me give you the example of guns and uh, guns in america you know everyone talks about guns and homicides in America. You hear every few weeks somebody has gone on a rampage and shot people and then turned the gun on themselves and died. But the fact remains that for, you know, with guns in America, the number of suicides with guns is about 10 times the number of people who die by homicides with guns. You know, so for every one death by homicide with guns, you have 10 deaths by suicide. So, you know, we, we sometimes ignore the fact that Many of these lethal means of suicide and access to these lethal means of suicide can result in suicides. And and there's a lot of interest in the fatricidal bit or the homicidal bit. It's homicide in a way. You know, what you call fatricide in the armed forces is is a kind of homicide. So that gets a lot of attention, but this does not get attention. But but it happens all the time. It happens in families. It happens with professionals. It happens in the paramilitary forces.
1: You spoke about the anger. You said that one of the misconceptions is that people who die by suicide are seen, are thought to be depressed only, but a lot of time there's a lot of anger as well. Could you talk to us a little bit about that?
0: It is a fundamental misunderstanding that people have about what should a depressed person look like or what should a depressed person feel. And that is really based on people's misunderstandings that come out of what maybe Bollywood has been showing or what they've read in the newspapers. But, you know, people with depression, very commonly people with depression may not have just a depressed mood, but they'll have an irritable, angry mood. And this is especially true about men. You know, men will present with depression, with anger and violence. It's what we call acting out or externalizing behavior. Women might have internalizing behavior, which means they blame themselves, they're tearful, they get withdrawn. But very often men will have externalizing behaviors, which is they, they become violent, they go out and drink a lot more. They indulge in risky behavior, like maybe drive their vehicles very dangerously. And this is quite common among men who have depression. And that doesn't get picked up as depression because it doesn't fit in with the conventional notion of depression. And so it gets missed out. But it's not uncommon. In fact, it's extremely common. And if you talk to any mental health professionals, they will tell you that it's an extremely common way of presentation of depression for men. And if you remember many of these... Fatricides and suicides that you're talking about are happening in men. I mean they're mostly men, not women. You know you rarely come across a woman who's also killed her children and then killed herself and there it's frequently not the anger thing. it's also about if I'm going to kill myself and die, who's going to look after my children, so they are better off dead with me kind of a thing rather than I'm angry and I'm going to kill them because I'm angry, But with the armed forces is largely men.
1: Is that a reflection of suicide in general in India, doctor, about the the men compared to the women?
0: If you look at the suicide data for men versus women in India, for every one woman who dies by suicide, you have three men who die by suicide. Or Two and a half men, but there's nothing like two and a half. So, uh, you know, two to three men. So the rate of suicides among men in India is almost two to three times the rate in women. The reason we focus on women's suicides all the time, and you say, if this is so, then why are we focusing on women's suicide? And the reason we focus on women's suicides is because this ratio of men to women across the world is much higher. It's like four is to one, five is to one. So for every four men who die by suicide, there'll be one woman. So what you have is a situation is that a lot more Indian women are dying by suicide. So if you look at suicide rates among men and women, the suicide rates among men in india as compared to suicide rates among men in the rest of the world we are not in the top 10 list of suicide men suicides okay but if you look at suicide rates among women in india versus suicide rates among women across the world then we are like almost the number one you know indian women have one of the highest rates of suicide compared to women across the world and so That's why the focus of a lot of discussion and conversation has been about women's suicides. But the the fact remains that that in absolute numbers, more men die by suicide than women do.
1: Doctor, the government, while replying in Parliament, has said that family problems, marital disputes, financial concerns, and the strain, obviously, of dealing of all this from a long distance away, contribute to mental health stress amongst defence personnel. But some retired officers have pointed to poor leadership, lack of leave, and prolonged deployments in conflict zones, and other factors. Does does the armed force do the armed forces and the paramilitary forces need to factor in internal issues as well when it comes to handling the mental health situation of its personnel?
0: Of course, I mean, you see, it's not an either or. You know, I, I think the reasons that are stated by government are all reasons which can put people at high risk okay and the reasons that are mentioned by the retired officers are equally good reasons why somebody's at high risk for suicide so clearly there are both uh, both aspects to it obviously the the government would like to underplay the service related factors and and retired officers would like to underplay the personal factors and actually highlight the service related factors i i think the issue is the issue for government in a sense as an employer is to address some of these issues. You know, I mean, I, at the end of the day, it is also a, it's also a safety in the workplace kind of an issue. So, service-related conditions are stuff that you can do something about. Uh, also, the other issues which the government kind of tries to say, well, it's nothing to do with us. Which is, you know, these are personal problems. People have financial problems. People have marital problems. Those are issues which obviously need to be handled in some sort of way, and support needs to be put in place. And and you know, one of the things that doesn't get talked about in all of this, which is very interesting, is the role of alcohol. Alcohol is quite easily available to people in, for to the defense personnel. The availability of alcohol, it's cheap and it's easily available. Now, what we know from civilian suicides in India, that in, in at least one out of three cases of suicide, uh, alcohol is implicated in some sort of way. You know, it is done under the sense of intoxication. It's done by people... Who, who have high rates of alcohol use, very often high rates of alcohol use disorders, as in they're, they're what is called as abusing alcohol in some sort of way. So one out of three men's suicides in this country, alcohol is implicated. The point is that uh, with the defense personnel, nobody talks about it. Neither do the retired personnel talk about it, nor does the government talk about it. And we actually don't have any data to say in how many of these suicides was alcohol an important issue? And if so, what is the government doing about it? What are the forces doing about it? You see, very often soldiers and officers will not seek help for alcohol-related problems uh, from the armed forces' medical services because there is a risk that if they do that, then they, they get what is called as medically boarded out. You know, if they, they lose their service, they could be forcibly retired on on health grounds. So they will not seek help. And they might just seek some random help from from medical services outside privately. But that does not help matters, you know, and especially when people are posted in jobs where they're going to be shifting from one place to the other, where they are separated from their families, where they're doing a stressful job, and you add into the mix easy and cheap availability of alcohol, then that's going to be a major factor which has never been addressed. or or talked about or discussed when we are talking about defense, personal suicides.
1: Doctor, could you talk to us specifically about two things that have cropped up again in these discussions? One is lack of leave, because obviously they posted in areas where their families are not around and don't have too much leave to go back home. And could you talk to us about how that combined along with a very stressful job could impact mental health?
0: I mean, see, I I don't know whether they have a lack of leave or not and how much leave they are entitled to. So, you know, while people are saying lack of leave, it may not be so much a lack of leave. It may be a different issue, you know. So, if you look at the total number of leave that defense personnel are allowed in a year, you might find that the number is extremely high or very high or very good. The, The problem is not, I think, lack of leave. The problem is not being permitted to take leave at a time when you have something happening, say, stressful at your home and you want to go back, you know, and you ask for leave and then you're told by your superiors that, well, leave is not possible at this point in time because you're in a very, very difficult situation. And then there's also this feeling that, well, you know, you're just taking leave because you want to get out of a difficult situation. So so it may not be so much the total quantum of leave that they get. But how leave is given or not given, you know, when they are allowed to take leave. You you see, if you're going to be told, I mean, imagine yourself working in a newspaper and let's say you have a problem at home. Your parents are ill or your family, somebody is ill or there's some financial crisis, something happening. And you say, I need leave to go back because I want to help my family sort this out. And then if you're told, well, you, you have leave, but you can't take leave just now, you can take leave later on. You're going to say, well, I need the leave now because I have a crisis just now and I need that leave given to me at this point in time, not two months later when there is no crisis. So I I think really the issue is not about the quantum. It's about how leave is granted, not granted, what is considered as adequate grounds for compassionate leave or urgent leave. And that, I think, really is the challenge. And you'll notice that in many of these so-called fatricide events, there'll be a, you know, if you read the newspaper reports, and that's all we have access to, you'll notice that the, the per, there'll be something which says, you know, the person was, had a problem at home and he had applied for leave and the officers refused his leave and then he got angry and went on a rampage and shot people. So, so it's, it's that kind of stuff that we need to look at rather than just the absolute number of leave. Because I'm sure the absolute number of leave is not the problem.
1: Another factor that has been pointed out by some retired officers is the humiliation that maybe some junior officers or junior ranking or defense personnel may face at the hands of someone senior. Because the armed forces are in their very nature hierarchical structures, do, do these factors also contribute to strain?
0: Of course it does. I mean, humiliation is, uh, you know, unfortunately, in many societies which tend to be extremely patriarchal and hierarchical, you know, humiliation and sometimes even ritual humiliation happens all the time in these professional groups. It happens in groups which are, in that sense, close. So, for example, humiliation is also a common thread in doctor suicides sometimes. You know, if you look at junior doctors dying by suicide, there'll be stories of humiliation. Their senior humiliated them or, you know, somebody's been dragged as a medical student so so these are this is a common factor across many of these professions not just the defense personnel but obviously that does not mean that that you excuse it by saying well it happens everywhere what i think it points to the fact that very often our seniors and the supervisors are not actually trained how to lead and mentor and how to handle people at a personal level so for example you know if you look at suicides by students who are doing their PhD or doctoral studies. And there's always a lot of complaint. And even there, for example, PhD guides have not been trained how to handle people who are doing their PhD. PhD is an equally stressful time. So, you know, that the, the guides have no training. In the same sort of way, senior doctors may have no training in how to handle young people, how to mentor, how to supervise, how to, how to pass on a negative message, for example, in a, in a more uh, appropriate manner. And the same thing probably applies to the armed forces. You see, the, the officers are not selected because of their ability to relate and to be able to be caring to their staff. They are selected on other criteria, but they don't particularly receive any any kind of training to be able to say, you know, this is how you handle your people. Uh, this is how you manage your people. And and everyone thinks that, oh, that's something that you just learn on the job, whether you're a doctor or a professor in a college or a doctor, senior doctor. Or, or a senior army officer.
1: Doctor, how much does the stigma have a role to play in the seeking of mental health care? Even now, the gender ratio in the forces is skewed towards men. Do gender norms, and especially the nature of the professional role that they play in the defense forces, do, do, does this inhibit their seeking of care?
0: Well, look, it's not just stigma. Okay? I mean, it is stigma, but it is, it's actually a practical reality. For example, if you, if you were to seek medical care, you run the risk of being categorized as having a mental health problem. And that can affect your career in the future, your promotions and all of that stuff and postings. So, so clearly, it's not just stigma. There is actually practical negative outcome that can happen by seeking medical care, just like it happens with medical doctors you know, they will not seek out mental health care because if they do that, then it kind of might impede their future career and how people look at them and what opportunities that they get. So so stigma is, is uh, you know, the college stigma would imply that there is nothing happening to them which is practically negative. But the reality is that in many of these professions and especially with defense personnel, if you seek mental health care, then that could jeopardize your career big time.
1: Last question before we sign off. doctor. So what practical steps do you think could be taken? Not just as you pointed out to us, it's not just defense personnel, but the police, doctors and several other high stress professions that have these issues. What what practical steps could be taken, especially by the government to mitigate the effects of mental health troubles?
0: let's not talk about what the government should be doing. That's one part of the story. I think we should be asking ourselves what are the practical steps that these professions need to be doing and professional leaders need to be doing. One of the first and most important thing is to stop this kind of denial, you know, the around suicides. It it exists in mental health professions. It exists in health professionals. It exists in, in the defense forces. So, you know, to just stop saying oh we don't have a suicide problem or, or to kind of say nobody dies by suicide you know just hoping that if you ignore it it will go away uh, we know that it doesn't go away so the first and foremost thing to probably do is to acknowledge that there is a problem and let's be open about it what that problem is and how are we going to deal with it the second thing to ask ourselves is as i said if people are not seeking help because they are worried that it will negatively impact their career then we need to ask ourselves, what can you do in the defense services? What can you do in uh, medical services to prevent this impacting people's careers negatively? You know, so you you provide mental health support and you ensure that taking that mental health support will not negatively impact your career in that profession. I mean, those are two immediate steps that the professions need to be doing. There are lots of things that the government should be doing, but that's, uh, you know, that's true about not just Suicides within these professions, but for suicides in general, government should be doing. But a lot of this is going to depend on these professions. For example, uh, you know we have so many medical suicides. We have doctors' suicides. I mean, the number of times that we have said to the medical organisations that why don't you take the lead and set up a confidential helpline for doctors? This, such such confidential helplines do exist in other countries. They are manned by doctors. They are for doctors run by doctors, you know, and and so that when you call up a confidential helpline like this, you'll get a doctor on the other end who understands your situation and why you are in that situation. Similarly, you know, the defense person could start something like that. But unfortunately, there is a total unwillingness to do that because professions just want to brush this issue under the carpet. Right.
1: Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Dr.
0: Thank you. Thank you for these questions and uh, this article on suicide. I think it's very important.
1: In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.